Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's time once again for everybody to come aboard the parts unknown train. Welcome to the show that delves deep into the archives to bring you the best of WrestleMania. This week, we're focusing on a tone-deaf event that exploited an extremely serious and sad real-life situation for financial gain. No, it's not our review of Crown Jewel. We're talking WrestleMania 7. Yep, we're back in 1991. The Gulf War has recently ended, and thus the natural move for Vince McMahon to make is to cash in on the conflict by presenting WrestleMania Stars and Stripes Forever. That's right, Iraqi sympathiser Sergeant Slaughter put the WWF title on the line against future Saudi sympathiser Hulk Hogan in the main event of a mammoth car. 14 matches were shown on TV. It went down on March 24th, 1991, in front of a crowd of 16,158 at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. That after the venue was changed from the 100,000-seater Coliseum, WWF insisted that was for security reasons, i.e. a terror threat from an actual Iraqi sympathiser. Popular conception is that it was due to poor ticket sales. The venue was decked out in red, white and blue, and the theme is Go USA! As well as Hogan and Slaughter, we also had The Rockers, Mr. Perfect, Big Boss Man, Jake Roberts, and many more on the card. Believe Believe it or not, we even got a half-decent match from the Ultimate Warrior. Speaking of half-decent, I've got a panel alongside me. Anton Tolui is away hosting a DDP yoga workshop with his friend Paige at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. So in his place, playing Bobby Lashley to Anton's John Cena, it's PU original John Ashdown. Hi there. And alongside John, an impeccably dressed individual who will one day have his own fragrance. It's the model Carl Anker. Hello. And last but not least, the only heart she's not keen on is Jimmy, which means she's in for a tough ride this week. It's wrestling author and doctor, Carrie Dunn. Hello. Let's start at the finish then. As I mentioned, the main event saw WWF champion Sergeant Slaughter put the title on the line against the all-American hero, Hulk Hogan. Um, Who'd like to explain the story behind this match, which even by WWF standards was in in very poor taste, Carl? Uh, So coming out of WrestleMania six. The Ultimate Warrior is the champion. Um, during this time, hold, held, holds the belt until the Royal Rumble, I believe. At which point, um, Sergeant Sort returns and goes from being a all-American sergeant um, <laughs> to uh, being a, an Iraqi sympathizer. He allies himself with the Iron Sheik. Um, he his boots. He goes from the the regulation um, wrestling boots to the um, sort of jester boots with the curl tips because. That's how you show that someone is from that part of the world, I guess. They were a gift from Saddam Hussein himself. <sighs> Wrestling. <laughs> um, Slaughter does that. Slaughter battles El Top Warrior at the Royal Rumble. He is victorious due to some interference from Randy Savage. Um, uh, and, yeah, is a one of the most detested heels in WWE history. Um, apparently during this run, Sergeant Slaughter got the, um, serious death threats. This is in that weird time where they say kayfabe was still real. It wasn't, but there was enough of kayfabe to go around for some a lot of people to still truly believe that Sergeant Slaughter had become an Iraqi sympathizer during 
the era of the first Gulf War. Um, and it, apparently what had occurred was had incensed Hulk Hogan so much that he decided to return from whatever entertainment thing he was doing, be it past the mania or filming another terrible film, um, to come out of quasi-retirement and take on Sergeant Slaughter and fight for America's honour. That was the setup for this match. And this match was 20 minutes of punch, kick, punch, punch, kick, pose, rest hold, Hulk up, hooray. John, the the anti-American foreign menace is not a new gimmick by any means, wasn't at this point. But the fact that, you know, American soldiers were dying months earlier meant that even by wrestling standards, this was a a bit of a stretch in terms of uh, the boundaries of good taste. Yeah, I mean, given it was a, an actual conflict um, that was over by the time of, of, of WrestleMania, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's horrendous, really. Um, you know, American soldiers, but also you know, innocent uh, Kuwaitis and Iraqis caught up in that uh, conflict as well. Um, so when Hogan rips the Iraqi flag during the uh, the main event, it just makes you completely wince and uh, uh, feel a bit ill, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the cheapest of sort of cheap heat. Look at the look at the uh, foreigner over there, or look at the turncoat, um, and here comes America to save the day. Yeah, it's pretty grim. I liked, Carrie, how they refused to burn the American flag or apparently slaughtered it in the build, even though that had recently been legalised. Um, <laughs> so they burned a Hulk Hogan T-shirt instead. But then at the end of the match, Hogan realises he's bleeding, gets something to wipe the blood off, and it turns out to be the American flag. It's like the greatest Hogan botchamania ever. So there was kind of a little bit of comedy in there with it. But, I mean, we shouldn't forget that General Adnan was alongside Sergeant Slaughter, who was a legit associate of Saddam Hussein, by all accounts. Um, Vince McMahon just doesn't get that real life and fiction are different things, no. and sometimes it's not good to mix the two. No, Vince McMahon, WWF, WWE in general, have no grasp that reality and wrestling are separate things, that there are some things that should not be uh, dealt with uh, in a wrestling show. It- it's, it's egregious, isn't it? The whole thing is just, oh, just terrible. So why is Regis Philbin on commentary for it? <laughs> American sort of talk show host, longest time associate of, of the WWF, WWE. Lots of celebrities pulled out of this event because of this. The USO, which broadcasts stuff for troops abroad, refused to broadcast it. Regis was all right with it, though. Yeah. Do you know who else is all right with it? Donald Trump. Shocker. Seriously, when Trump turns up, I should I should have guessed that was going to happen because Marla Maples is in from the start and literally the only thing she is famous for is having married Donald Trump. So I'm, I should have known he was going to show up and yet I didn't and then he did and that was also terrible. John, what what do you think about Regis Philbin? Well, I thought in his defence, um, there's a point in the match when uh, Slaughter's got a, I think it's a Boston Crab on, right next to the ropes. Commentators aren't mentioning it. Hulk Hogan is not going for the ropes, and Regis Philbin has to say, "Why isn't he going for the ropes?" <laughs> um, which is <laughs> must be a low spot on Gorilla and, uh, and Bobby on commentary. Certainly, uh, hats off to Regis. Well, if that was in poor taste, something that isn't, 
our friends at Beer 52. They're so enamoured with you, brothers and sisters of Parts Unknown, they want to give you some free beer. And not just any beer, craft beer. And not just any craft beer, a case of craft beer for free. Beer 52 is the largest craft beer club on the planet. They search out exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. Sign up now at beer52.com slash parts unknown and you'll get eight spectacular craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and Beer 52's award-winning magazine, Ferment. All you have to do is pay $5.95 for delivery. And if you decide that after this free taster, the club isn't for you, there's no catch, no heel turn, no stips. You can leave Beer 52 at any time. Just head to beer52.com slash parts unknown and enter the offer code parts unknown to claim your free case today. That's beer52.com. Um, next, I want to talk about the retirement match, which saw the Ultimate Warrior defeat Randy Savage with Queen Sherry. A 20-minute Warrior match, Carl, was enough to make me shudder on the face of things, but this was all right. This is all right because Randy Savage plans every wrestling match meticulously. Um, so he, he's not the off-the-cuff, uh, call audibles in matches, a la Undertaker, Chris Jericho, or, or other wrestlers nowadays. But when Randy Savage does a match, it generally tends to be very, very good. Um, Ultimate Warrior is botch prone and doesn't seem to understand how wrestling works but seems to behave himself in this match one thing I will point out sensational Sherry wow that is an incredible performance from a manager (laughs) how she slowly grows in and out of influence throughout the match so there's a number of times where um, so in storyline the match is, is called in part because when Warrior was the champion uh, ahead of the Rumble, uh, Sherry asked for a title match. Warrior said no. Brought about no. <laughs> Sorry. And, and and when <laughs> Sherry asked for that, we saw this on the hype video. It looked a lot like she was sort of giving him a blowjob. She so she is a very interesting character in early WrestleMania. Pre Attitude Era kind of character at this point. Yes. So she a lot of these. Hogan, I'll call these Hogan era WrestleManias, then no blood, no sex, and the suggestion of sex is nowhere near explicit as what you get in the attitude era and whatnot. But Sherry walks quite up to the line, but she has this different energy to her. So it's sort of, if you, I can imagine being in my like pre puberty looking at Sherry going, huh, and looking at my crotch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man had been heel for two years at this time, so he he split from Miss Elizabeth and to align himself as a heel and being like, I don't really care about anyone else, he, he's aligning himself with Sherry. He became much more sexed up. He started wearing more and more outlandish clothing. He didn't really care for anyone else. And Sherry more or less led him in a Lady Macbeth-style um, jaunt around WWE. And then in this match, she very much is the only reason why Savage is able to keep up with the ultimate warrior because the entire match is ultimate warrior is stronger than savage but it's only sherry throwing shoes distracting the referee and more or less beating up the ultimate warrior that savage is able to keep step it's a it's a almost proto china position that sherry has here and i i just love watching sherry we'll get to um the other add-ons around the match in a bit but john the finish i mean Warrior just totally disrespecting Savage, who's taken him to one of his best matches ever. Um, talk us through that and, and 
try not to use the phrase classic warrior. <laughs> no, I like the finish. I think that's, I don't see why not. Like Savage at the time thought he was stepping away to, to have a family and, you know, wasn't necessarily going to come back. Um, and it gets over the fact that, you know, Macho had nothing left. You know, he's just, he's just done. It's slightly odd in the fact that he has to sort of roll him back into the ring. So nobody's really expecting it. And Heenan's kind of sort of slightly talking over it as well on commentary. But I, I love that that visual. I think that's a, one of the sort of more iconic early WrestleMania visuals, really. Um, four spears. And then Ultimate Warrior pins Savage by placing his foot on his chest, which I didn't particularly care for. They do this a lot in uh, New Japan and Japanese wrestling of you have to hit a lot of finishes to put someone down in a massive match because you understand it's one part, you know, respect another part of you know you have to double tap to make sure the bad guy is dead um so savage hit four elbows five 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 elbows on ultimate warrior ultimate warrior gives a two count and then ultimate warrior hits four of his spears that's right yeah onto savage and then doesn't even bother hooking the leg which in you know in keeping of the story of savage is no longer strong is fine but there is something about the way warrior does it with just his foot. And I'm like, well, no, I don't like you. Yeah, it's a bit rude, isn't it? But I think that's I think that's more to do with me not liking Ultimate Warrior forever rather than and me very much liking Randy Savage. Warrior had um, pictures of himself and Savage on his knee pads. Apparently that's something he nicked off Rick Rude, but obviously it's something we see kind of nowadays with Velveteen Dream. So still, still going, carry on the WhatsApp group. You wanted to talk about Elizabeth. So explain how she fitted into this match, the story around that. It's going to end very sad, but it was a key part of the match. Yeah. Um, so Miss Elizabeth is supposedly kind of not involved in this. She's just there as an onlooker. She's in the crowd. She's got her, her nice smart jumper on. I mean, she's just sitting there as a fan watching that. She gets. She in- couldn't look less like a wrestling fan I if she know, tried. I she? love her. But that's one of the odd things about Miss Elizabeth is she's never looked like she fitted no. into wrestling, which is what kind of made her an interesting character. And Carl and I were talking about this earlier off air. She's just such an interesting thing to see in a wrestling show because she's so different from anything else you have ever seen or ever will see in wrestling. So she's sitting there in the crowd look, looking very, very odd in her nice jumper, looking um, more and more concerned for, for Randy as as the match goes on. And I actually got really weepy watching this because obviously you know how Miss Elizabeth's story ends. You see this you know, fantastic reunion. Um, you see Matcha Man holding the ropes open for her to get out of the ring for the first time. And that's just lovely. And then So this is after he's Savage's last Sherry's yes. turned on him. She comes in to make the save. Yes, yeah, so Miss Elizabeth make, makes the save. He's not quite sure who it is. Realises that Elizabeth, they have this yeah, big reunion. He holds the ropes open. She um, goes through the ropes and they have this lovely exit. But you know what's going to happen to her? And it's just so, so sad. So obviously their real life relationship broke up. Their real life relationship was not a good one. It's... Apparently they legally separated to uh, enhance the kayfabe for this match. <sighs> so weird. They, he confirmed their div- <laughs> so. They had, they had the on-screen marriage in 1991, a bit later, at Survivor? No, at SummerSlam. They're the match made in heaven. And Ma- match made in heaven. Match made in and then in uh, issue of WWE magazine in 1992, he confirms they divorced. But they had been long estranged, well before this uh, reconciliation. At, the crowd is white hot for mm. this. There, there's a bit uh, where Savage puts Miss Elizabeth on his shoulder 
it's amazing and it cuts to a member of the crowd and they are crying they are bawling out um and i've, I've spoken before on this podcast about how wrestling re- reactions seem to just be a lot more intense before the internet and i've you know i've heard about this thing i went oh yeah well i expect to see some more pre-internet reactions and then you watch it and then you f- i found myself going no i i care that's mom and dad in a, in a, like, that's like wrestling mum and they, they were like the first on screen couple to do stuff and then that reunion again Savage had been away from Miss Elizabeth for two years in, in wrestling they, he'd been a heel for two years and by getting back with Miss Elizabeth he'd instantly become a, a face again and that is your that is for a lot of people their first favourite wrestler becoming a face again reuniting with Miss Elizabeth throughout the, the time you know, if you were a young man of that age, Miss Elizabeth was probably your very first crush as well. So your heart eyes everywhere. But then you, you mentioned about kind of in, internet. I wonder if the internet had been around then, would we have felt the same about Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth? Because we know now what a very unhealthy relationship theirs was. So would we have taken it as a face turn for them to be reunited? Because Macho Man is not necessarily a good person for Miss Elizabeth to be with. No, and something that, that I, I wrote in my notes was how, yes, he does, for the very, very first time, hold the ropes open for Miss Elizabeth to exit the ring. But one, he holds the bottom rope open, so Miss Elizabeth exits the ring lower than he normally exits the ring. And then he stays in the ring and soaks up some applause more, rather than immediately goes with Miss Elizabeth so they can leave the ring together. Which is a little thing of, no, Savage, you've just got back with your with your lady go be with your lady don't soak up any more adulation go go be the hero that you're supposed to be outside of this but again it speaks to savage couldn't really live without that adulation and that's why he was so meticulous and that's why he planned his matches to that degree and that's why he was so if you dare speak of miss elizabeth i'll hit you in the face which on screen made him an amazing wrestling character but now we know off-screen made him not a nice person. And I should stop trying to qualify that with not a nice person. Because if, if I'm on this podcast talking about Hogan being this and that and this and that and other people being this and that and this and that, I should be able to say, Matching my Randy Savage was a pretty bad... Ter- no, was a bad person. That's Why is that so hard for me to say? You said it. Well done. Um, most people in wrestling are, is kind of what we're discovering. Last words on this to you john obviously savage didn't actually retire because wrestling um he came back initially as a commentator then hung around for a bit before he was told he was too old and packed off to wcw yeah so he sort of he ends up only really um taking the summer off um the plan was to as as i understand it anyway was to get off the steroids so that they could him and liz could have a, a child because you can't <laughs> you can't conceive while steroids are reducing something in your body with it etc. and so forth. Didn't work, and by sort of Survivor Series, he's back feuding with Jake the Snake. Um, and then, you know, back into the main event picture, you know, uh, what, a year later? Yeah. As for Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, so he goes on to um, SummerSlam, joins up with, uh, uh, with the Hulkster, and because we haven't driven the Iraq War into the ground enough, um, they take on Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and the returning uh, Iron Sheik in a handicap match that is a real stinker. 
about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. It's that time where I ask you kindly to please leave us a five-star review if you think we're worth it. I'll be honest, I'm not sure why it's such a big deal, but every other podcast out there asks for them, and I don't want to feel left out. Back to WrestleMania 7 then. A long old show, so we'll whiz through some of the matches. Genichiro Tenryu and Koji Kitao, apologies to those two, beat Demolition, Crush and Smash, with Mr. Fuji. Earthquake, with Jimmy Hart, defeated Greg Valentine. Virgil, with Roddy Piper, beat Ted DiBiase by Countout. The British Bulldog went over the Warlord, with Slick. The Legion of Doom squashed Paul Roma and Hercules, aka the Power and the Glory. And Tito Santana did the J-O-B to the Mountie. This WrestleMania might as well have been billed WrestleMania 7. It's crass and there's loads of Jimmy Hart. The Mouth of the South was at ringside for three separate matches here, one of which I want to discuss, not because it was particularly interesting in the ring, but the story of the two men involved certainly is. Texas Tornado beat Dino Bravo in three minutes. Dino Bravo, Carrie, tell us a bit about this guy and why we're interested in the real-life man behind the gimmick. Okay, so... Dino Bravo, I guess we're talking about him because of his rather sticky end. Um, apparently bumped off by the mafia, I, I believe the story is. Cigarette deal gone awry, hit by 17 bullets, 7 to the head, 10 to the torso. Yeah, that's horrible. It's a different wrestling death, at least, for us to talk about, I suppose. Um, well, Texas Tornado gives us a, 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 a one that we're very used to seeing now. Yeah, Kerry Von Erich, this is our first look at a Von Erich, um, killed himself two years after this at the age of 33, after he'd become addicted to painkillers following major surgery, including having a foot amputated. He actually kept that secret, carried on wrestling with a prosthetic on, uh, but he got addicted to painkillers. Carl, ages ago, on I forget the show, but it must have been when one of the Von Eriks were inducted into the Hall of Fame. You told us about a great article on either the Ringer or Deadspin about about the family. Tell us again. On the, on the Ringer, so David Shoemaker from the Ringer has a book called Life and uh, Death in the Square Circle. So every chapter, it, it tells the history of wrestling from the Funfair era up until 2004. And every chapter is named after a wrestler who's no longer with us. Um, and the chapter on Carrie Von Erich details the, the fate uh, and the lives of every member of the Von Erich family, Kerry Von Erich. Um, interesting. Von Erich is their wrestling name. It's kayfabe. Uh, and it was the heel gimmick of the territorial era in, in Texas. Essentially, they were so good technically in the ring that 
the Nazi sympathizers thing dropped and Von Erich just became the family name. Um, they all had the iron claw as a finishing move, so just a straight arm to your head as a submission move. Some use it as their finishers, others use it as a submission variant. Um, they are to Texas what Jerry Lawler is to Memphis, what Bret Hart is to, to Calgary, and in, in what the Legion of Doom apparently are to every single territorial era. Phenomenally talented wrestler. He wrestled the 1992 Royal Rumble on one foot. And you will not notice if you watch the 92 Royal Rumble. He was that technically proficient. You can look up photographs of him and in 1989, in 91, and look at him and go, yeah, I can see why you are a champion. I can see why everyone loved you. And I can see why you probably should have been Hulk Hogan because he has the look. He has the technical ability. He has the promo ability. He also, what makes the tragedy sadder is he seemed to be a decent human being comparative to many other wrestlers, um, but couldn't get it together. And the Von Erich family are a tragedy. Elsewhere on the show, Jake Roberts defeated Rick Martel in a blindfold match. John, tell us how how this stipulation came to be. The, the, one of the greatest ever builds to one of the greatest ever WrestleMania matches, I think we'll all agree. <laughs> um, so Jake was sprayed in the eye with arrogance, the model's <laughs> fragrance on a Brother Love show, um, basically in the summer prior to this. So this is a nine-month kind of build. Um and the model had sort of run from him uh, previously. He was apparently blinded in this uh, this attack. Blinded by arrogance. What a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, to make things fair, you were uh, have to have, they had to whack on some blindfolds and deliver an absolute masterclass. I genuinely mean I I love this match oh, so much. It's fantastic. It's really for for what obviously they're not blindfolded. They've got the hoods on that you'd wear if you were about to be executed which is a slightly unfortunate <laughs> visual um but the crowd was so into this match and they worked a good match given the gimmick which should have made it a bad match yeah and i think you know last week we gave uh, rick martel some props and this week his performance in this match is a sort of comedy wrestling a genuine genuinely a masterclass the when he runs straight into the ropes at one point there's an elbow drop after a slam where jake's already rolled out the way uh, he swings a chair at a ring post think having backed into it thinking it's thinking it's jake it's just fantastic um and you can see you can see why um no, i don't know i didn't have a point then i just started a sentence sorry okay it's wrestling panto so you've got so martel is very much shaking around and, and like scratching at air trying to find jake and Jake, in that whole, I'm the cleverest person. So in, I, in the primary, goes, snakes do it better in the dark. Which I have, I have no idea if snakes have a greater sense in the dark. But when Jake the Snake says it, I'm going to put down my phone and believe him. Um, so Rick Martel is swiping at air, trying to constantly find where Jake is. Whereas Jake does these very long arm sweeps of the ring. And then basically he can hear from the crowd. As, so the crowd will get increasingly louder and start screaming when jake's finger like gets into martel's eyeline and he's like oh he's there let me like slowly creep towards him and it, it speaks to jake's ability to manipulate a crowd rick martel's ability to play on the fact that he's meant to be an idiot so he's also using the crowd to great effect by just not being smart enough to do that 
Um, Martel gets in quite a lot of off- offense. He does a lot, couple of body slams. Realizes that weaponry is important. Um, there's a great bit where Bobby Heenan goes, "Why doesn't Rick just lift up the hood?" And Gorilla's like, "No, but he's a cheat." Goes, yeah, but you know, you find Jake the Snake. He's got a five hundred pound snake in the corner. He goes, "You're a broadcast journalist. You got, you've got dignity." And Brick, but he's like, "No, if you fight Jake the Snake, you have to cheat." Which is just a great, yeah, because Jake is just otherworldly. Um, it's wrestling panto, and I never ever want to see a match like that on a pay per view ever again. But I'll gladly watch that gimmick match played as part of the beginning of a feud on an episode of Raw. All right. Um, Carrie, we kind of opined during his era that maybe Kurt Angle is the WrestleMania goat. Is Jake the Snake Roberts one of, if not the most underrated contributors? I think so. Um, I think because Jake's wrestling career was kind of so troubled, as we've discussed previously, and because it didn't have kind of a defined arc because he had to step away for various reasons and he's never been able to have that kind of big comeback either. So he didn't have the longevity, I suppose. Um, I think that has led to him being underrated. But yes, I would agree with that. The Undertaker defeated Jimmy Snooker. Big win for Taker. Snooker, pretty old at this point, but but still a name. Best Taker match we've seen in a while. It's his debut, is it not? Yeah. It's, this is the... F- this is the last time we'll get to talk about Undertaker yeah, on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like a weight just lifting off my shoulders. It's a good. Bit. It's good to know that there'll be no more Undertaker. But what a debut. When that match starts and he fixes his eyes with Jimmy Snooker, I'm like, ah, that's why you were able to absorb all of these bad matches and never have someone go, you're going to lose next year. Because Taker, Taker can stare and Taker can jump and Taker can bump. Uh, there's a bit where he sets up Snooker for a clothesline. Snooker's nowhere near it. And he just leaps six foot in the air, flings himself in a manner that looks as if it makes contact. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, we spoke on WrestleMania 9 about how another big guy can't move because their knees are shot. And we, you know, we haven't talking well about Taker for a while, but to be that size and to be that agile and to be able to be so in control of your gimmick and how you can control someone with just a stare that early on in your career, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Snooker, John, uh, Tamina's dad, currently getting a bit of a a mini push. Is there an industry anywhere in the world more reliant on nepotism than professional (laughs) wrestling? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of helps, doesn't it, if you've got a a, a dad who owned the territory or uh, somebody who uh, knows the guys in charge. Um, Yeah, obviously... Snooker's way past his uh, past his prime at this point, um, but it's interesting really because if you sort of, I guess if you sort of almost if you just talk through the moves of the match, in a way the Undertaker's not treated any different to say the Mountie or uh, uh, Texas Tornado in that you know it's just like a squash match, but the way he does it and the way the commentators put him over, you can tell like this guy's going places. In terms of tag team offerings, the show kicked off with the Rockers, Marcy Giannetti and Shawn Michaels beating the Barbarian and Haku, the last Rockers Mania match. Um, Carrie, tell us about Marty Giannetti. He didn't feature at WrestleMania 9 because he got sacked. He's kind of, I don't know, he's kind of tragic, but he's he's such a prat, isn't he? I mean, is he is he having sex with his cousin or something at the moment? He's like 15. It's very self-inflicted. Um, so Marty Giannetti now is... Carrie, would you like to tell the story of when the Rockers split? Well, the whole barbershop window thing. As... Oh, I, I can't. It's, I mean, 
Matt, you're right. He is a prat and it's terrible. But I really feel bad for him that his entire life and career has become a punchline. So whenever a tag team is successful, people will talk about who's going to be the Genetti of that group. He's, the, he's, he's like Andrew Ridgely in wrestling. He is the Andrew Ridgely. second banana. He is. And yes, he's a prat. And yes, a lot of it is brought on himself. But it's really sad. <laughs> you know, poor Marty Gennetti didn't really do anything wrong apart from not being Shawn Michaels, did he? But he kind of, John, lived the Ric Flair lifestyle without the ability to make money that Ric Flair <laughs> Without got. the talent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, well, he was one of those, I think he's one of those guys where in the tag team with, with Shawn, they're brilliant together. And then individually, you can clearly see that Shawn's got the, got the stuff. And yeah, I mean, who knows if if he away from the ring, if he'd sort of lived life slightly differently, um, you know, would it have made a difference? I mean, I don't know really. <laughs> he had a vaguely successful singles career. He he wins TV titles, he wins mid card belts. He is he is given, and I think he's given further opportunity. But he breaks wellness policy. He drinks a lot. He spends a lot of money. He has a lot of fights with a lot of people in the locker room, and he doesn't have the cachet that a lot of people in the locker room doing that stuff were like there are terrible there are dickheads in that locker room my Janae was not doing anything that Shawn Michaels wasn't doing in that in that locker room at the time however Shawn Michaels could also hit a moonsault Janae couldn't so that meant Janae was never gonna be anywhere yeah it becomes kind of more expendable but yeah cachet is exactly the word I was thinking of while you were saying that yeah, he's not doing anything different to anybody else, and he, but he hasn't got the kind of protectors. We're coming back to that nepotism thing again, aren't, aren't we? Um, he hasn't got anyone there who's going to stand up for him and say, no, he's our mate, we'll keep him. And he just has this downward slide. Yeah, He's currently um, on various social medias claiming he's worth $3 million. It's a quintessential Gennetti thing. Marty Gennetti said his daughter was really hot, but that's overshadowed by the fact that Hulk Hogan did it first. <laughs> so even in like yeah. being gross and repulsive... He's still a second banana to someone else in wrestling, which is... Ooh. I like the phrase second banana, by the way. You drop that in twice like we should all know what it is. Where does that come from? Uh, it's a basketball term. So very much if if you got your, your Michael Jordan point guard, um, shooting guard or point guard, then Scotty Pippen will be the second banana. The Batman to your Robin. If you're the Robin, you're the second banana. Okay, thanks. Every day's a school day. In the tag title match, the Nasty Boys defeated the Hart Foundation. Jimmy Hart was here. Uh, he had a motorbike helmet on to help protect him from the Hart Foundation. Uh, the Nasty Boys won this by nefarious means. Uh, Carl said he didn't like them last week, John. To tell us a bit about <laughs> about Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. Well, I, I don't know what, what there is to say apart from uh, they end up being good mates with Hogan and so have uh, very decent runs in both uh, <laughs> WWF and WCW. And I mean, TNA, unbelievably. Absolutely, yeah. Still going years after this. Um, yeah, I mean, here they're just very transitional champions because uh, LOD are getting the belts at SummerSlam and uh, Brett's uh, penciled in for a for a, a singles run. Um, I thought it was I thought it was okay as a, as a match. The crowd were crowd were into it. There was a bit of a bit too much chin locking, um, and at the end, because obviously the, the nasty boys uh, cheated to beat the, the beat the Heart Foundation. Did you notice the referee who was screwing Brett Earl Hebner? <laughs> oh, nice, um, Doctor. Your boy Brett, last time as a as a tag guy at Mania here, worked out pretty well for him. Not so much for the Anvil, who obviously passed away earlier this year, but he's kind of like Marty Janetti actually, just 
couldn't do what he'd done as a tag wrestler as a singles guy. I don't think Jim Neidhart ever expected a singles run, though. I think he always knew he was very fortunate to be where he was because of the family that he married into. So, yeah, not not as sad as Marty Jannetty, I don't think. Yeah, good beard stroker as well, wasn't he? Excellent ginger Fantastic beard. Fantastic laugh. Fantastic laugh. Go on, do it. <laughs> Close enough. Um, weird promo. Weird promo before this match. Uh, the, the WrestleMania 7 has a lot of promos where it's garbled metaphor, and that's why you all lose. So in this bit, uh, Jim Nighthart goes, uh, you want to defeat... If you want to defeat something, you need to get in the foundation. And you want to get in cracks in the foundation. The foundation's at the bottom. And that's where you are, Nasty Boys. The bottom. Right. So you're saying the Nasty Boys are going to win? And there's, like, Brett does a couple of with, like, garbled metaphor. And that's why so-and-so is going to happen. Which is clearly, that's an old territorial technique. You go, last Sunday night, event happened. And that's why next Monday, I'm going to beat you up. Which is also a good way you should, you know, give a business presentation. What happened before? What are you going to do next? <laughs> um, <laughs> promos very important <laughs> right we're on the home stretch now I do want to chat briefly about the intercontinental title match though Big Boss Man defeated Mr Perfect by disqualification Lord Alfred Hayes came out for commentary with Heenan playing manager at ringside here um, Andre the Giant comes out to interfere midway through he kind of ambles up to Heenan but doesn't get to him Haku and the Barbarian interfere for the DQ Andre and Bossman end standing tall um, the key word I've written down here Carrie is cluster so I was saying earlier off air that I watched this when I was very very dosed up on painkillers so I hurt my back while I was doing my marathon training and I had to take a lot of very strong painkillers. I wasn't sure whether I'd actually imagine this, but no, no, I, I actually saw it. What a mess. Why, why are they... You know, obviously they're trying to get as many people on the card as possible, as, as we've seen with their 14 matches. But what was this about? And John, it's really sad to see Andre in this state. Obviously disinterested, but also obviously in a, a great amount of pain just at the prospect of walking. Oh, it's, it's, it's painful. I mean... <laughs> Literally for him, I assume. I mean, he can't get round the ring without holding onto the side of the ring. Um, like, clearly can't actually get into the ring because all the sort of stuff... He doesn't move into the ring at any point. He circles it, and then even afterwards, him and Bossman are sort of celebrating in the aisleway, essentially. Um yeah, it's not the greatest uh, IC title match in WrestleMania history, that's for sure. Yeah, It kind of feels like the belt wasn't treated with that much deference over this little last batch we've been we've been looking at. That, that fair? It's it gets hot shotted a lot. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Mr. Perfect can't stay fit. So Perfect at this time it was more or less the de facto intercontinental back problems, wasn't it? Mainly champion, for him. but he has back problems because he is carrying a lot of muscular weight that trying to keep up with the Hogan's and whoever at this time, and he can't, and so his back just gives out. Um, so when Perfect is fit, Perfect is in the IC title picture and is the IC champion. And while this match isn't great, Perfect is bumping like a madman up and down. And he's doing, he gets hit by Andre Giant and completely 360 flips. In, you know, just like, huh, I thought people only learned how to do that in 2005. But Kurt Hanging's Kurt Hanning. He can do that. Um, Boss Man, I will always love because I, I have a particular soft spot for bigs that are particularly agile. And Boss Man always was. And I did like his promo of, 
uh, how this match started because Mr. Perfect hurt his mum's feelings. And if you hurt my mum's feelings, you hurt my feelings too. Which is funny considering what he Mr. did. Mr. T big... got up and applauded <laughs> at that point. Really funny considering what Boss Man did to Big Show's dad. <laughs> um, overall then, let's kind of leave out the main event, which obviously is, is something pretty heinous. Carrie, what did you think of the show as a whole? Not without as a whole, the main without event. the main event. 13 uh, match card, let's call it. Um... Too much, not explored properly, with some excellent bits. So, you know, it's WrestleMania, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to ask anyone else to sum it up, because that's pretty perfect. Carl, have you got a WrestleMania moment? Uh, I think all of our WrestleMania moments are going to be Savage and Elizabeth related. So that's yours? um, Mine will be the the fan, uh, the female fan who is bawling her eyes out when they are reunited. John? didn't really have one but i did like lou frigno talking because you can't understand what he was saying (laughs) and then he did say it's better than the olympics and the circus (laughs) (laughs) carrie well mine's related to that actually the fact that they're interviewing lou frigno and you can see henry winkler just looking around (laughs) around him at the camera it's amazing as well Yeah, he knew no better. Henry Winkler, no excuse. Um, My WrestleMania moment, I'm going to try and quote this without laughing, but I I honestly had to pick myself up from the floor. Pre-match promo from the Legion of Doom before their match with Power and Glory. And Hawk says, Power and the Glory, huh? When we're finished with you, you'll be sour and gory. (laughs) I don't know why, but I just thought that's the the worst joke I've ever heard. And therefore... Brilliant. Carrie, where can people keep up with you on Twitter? At Carrie Sparkle. John? At John underscore Ashdown. And Carl? At Command 616. I am at Matt Davis Adams. We are at the PU Podcast. Next time, we're headed to the Sky Dome in Toronto for one of the most notorious manias ever. That's right, champion versus champion, Hogan versus warrior in the ultimate challenge. We've also got Roddy Piper indulging in a spot of barely believable racism. Our first look at matches involving Dusty Rhodes and Rick Rude and plenty more besides. Until then, thanks for your company. I've been Matt Davis Adams. You've been in parts unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.